Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Amen, amen. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for uh, our invisible pastor and his wife who want, who want to come out today. And thank you for my family. Thank you for my baby. Josh spoke a word unto me yesterday to just calm my spirit. So I thank God for him and I I thank God for, you know, my sister Vera and Alvin, and I thank God for my church family. So let us just go into the Word by way of introduction. Have you ever taken a moment to look at a beautiful nativity scene that is on the front of many Christmas cards? Well, this week I did, and I noticed that Mary always looks stunning, as if she's just returned from a weekend spa retreat. And, and Joseph always looks, uh, it looks stately and in control. Uh, sometimes he's shown casually resting his elbow on a, on a nearby calf. And, and the three wise men are kneeling and a handful of shepherds are standing all around them. And, and then there is the manger. This is really the only detail that the Bible gives us about where Mary, Joseph, and the baby stayed. In this unusual scene, the manger looks like a plush, a comfortable straw bed. Now, as I looked at it, I say, okay, now this is a sweet picture. And, and, and it's good for many reasons. But as Christians, we can't let the tranquility of this picture lull us into forgetting what we are really looking at. Because some people don't know which details are biblical and which are fabricated. We can't know Jesus if we don't know that he is real. The story of his birth is no allegory. We dare not romanticize it or settle for some fanciful uh, legend that renders the whole story meaningless. Mary and Joseph were real people. Their dilemma on finding no room at the end surely was as frightening for them as it would have been for me and you. The manger in which Mary laid the baby was actually a feeding trough which must have reeked of animal smells. And so did the shepherds in all probability. That first Christmas was anything but picture perfect. And with that in mind, I propose that we revisit his birth to ask an all-important question. Who is that baby? Who is that baby in the manger? On one level, we know who he is. We know he is Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary. But that hardly exhausts the answer, who is that baby? But most importantly, we have to ask, who is that baby to us? Amen. What will our answer be to those who want to devalue him, who want to turn Jesus into something less than, something less than the King of kings and the Lord of lords, less than the Son of God? Less than the Alpha and the Omega, the one who has come and the one who is surely to come again. Because the world desires nothing more than to leave Jesus in that dirty, smelly, filthy trough to be thought of only as a carpenter's son or a great teacher maybe. Then, see, they can reduce Jesus into something other than God in human flesh. Then they can put him in a box and forget about him. 
But Christmas is a time of celebration for the church. It doesn't matter that Jesus was probably born any other year except for the year that we celebrate him. It doesn't matter whether it was spring, summer, fall, or winter. The nativity scene should remind us of a profound truth that at Christmas we celebrate the incarnation, the moment when God became flesh and walked among men. We celebrate the love and grace of our God who willingly laid his heavenly glory to be born, laid it aside, to be born in the humblest of humble circumstances so that lost people could be saved. Everything we place in that nativity scene, every person that's represented in there is to glorify God. So that's why we got to thank God this morning for the Bible. Because it won't let us reduce Jesus Christ. It won't let us reduce Jesus Christ in any way, shape, form, or fashion. The Bible is our most reliable source on who Jesus is. Which we could explain from Genesis to Revelation. But for the time that I have been allocated, I have to go to the book of Hebrews where we see in these first three verses and we discover who that baby in the Bethlehem manger was and who he is to us. He is God's final word to mankind. That, that should strike us first. This passage tells us that God has spoken. He didn't have to do that. He, he had no obligation to reveal himself to us. He could have left us in the dark with no information about where we came from, why we're here, and, why we're, and where we're going. He could have left us to grope around blindly in a maze of uncertainty. But he didn't. It says God has spoken. And there is nothing more he needs to say. When God sent his son, he provided the answer to every human question and the solution to every human need. Remember the Jews had long believed that when the Messiah would come, he would reveal God's complete and final truth. Even the Samaritans accepted that. In John 4.25, where we find the Samaritan woman who walked with Jesus by the well said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And she was right. He did. He told us all we need to know about him being rightly related to God in time and eternity. So from that introductory statement, the writer in Hebrews, he just launches into seven reasons why Jesus is God's final word. And in so doing, he gives us one of the most magnificent descriptions of the person of Christ where it can't be found anywhere else in the Bible. The first fact we see concerning Christ, whom he appointed heir of all things, Christ is shown to be vastly more superior than the prophets because he is everything. And then I had to understand this from a personal view. When my father died, I found out that my name was written in his will. And that meant that along with my brothers and my sisters, I share in my father's estate. I received it because I was an heir to what my father possessed. And to say that God has appointed Jesus heir of all things means that God has given him everything. He has given everything to his son. The deepest oceans, the farthest stars, the darkest corners of the earth, the highest mountain, it all belongs to him. But if we look back, the writer of Hebrews is reaching into the future and anticipating the day when the baby in the manger returns to be king of kings and lord of lords, to rule the whole earth. 
It is foretold in Psalm 2, which he quotes in Hebrews 1.5. And it's a psalm of the Messiah's triumphant reign. And it reads, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me. Now this is the father talking. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth as your possession. So everything exists, exists for Jesus Christ to become his. But today it doesn't appear to be that way. That everything belongs to Jesus. Because Satan has illegally claimed the earth as his domain. But you can be assured the end of Satan will be overthrown. And Jesus will be installed as the rightful king of the universe. This means that when you come to the end of everything, Jesus is there. It may seem from a a brief glance at the scoreboard that Satan is winning. But in his struggle with good and evil. But I'm here to tell you, as they talk about it in the elections, those are partial returns. When all the votes are counted, those who stand with Jesus Christ will find themselves on the victorious side. Because Jesus is coming again. And when he does, he will establish his kingdom on earth in a rule of righteousness and peace. And it will be all his the prophet Daniel, he, he had to look at this one. He looked at it in, in, in Daniel uh, chapter 7. It says, and my vision continued that night. I saw like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient one and led into his presence. He was given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world. So that people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. And ain't that good? That's better than good. And secondly, Jesus is also the creator of the universe. And now the writer moves from the future to the far distant past, through whom also he made the worlds. Jesus, who will someday rule the world, rule the whole earth, is is actually the one who created it all. The entire universe, space and time, he created it. He made it all. And this is consistent with the Bible. In the book of John, it says, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was ever made. Colossians 1, 16, 17 stresses Christ's role as creator. It says, for by him, all things were created, both in heaven and on earth. That's visible and invisible. Whether thrones or or dominions or or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things. All things hold together. Everything was created by God. And not only that, but all things were created for him. The world thinks, they think it's ridiculous. They, they, They laugh at us that we believe that Jesus, the, the creator of the entire universe, God's son, could be born in such humble circumstances. But he did not come the way people expected him to come. He did not come on a, as a great king. He, did not, he didn't come that way. He came as a little baby, born in the lowest conditions. And it's almost too much for us to realize ourselves. Because when Jesus allowed himself to be laid in that manger, he was identifying himself with those he came to save. Jesus came to identify with us. He came to identify with man, mankind's poverty. He knows about our needs for 
it tells us in the Bible, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through he was, he was, though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor. That ye through his poverty might be rich. And he promised to meet our needs according to his glorious riches, which are in Christ Jesus. And Jesus came to identify with mankind priorities. He was born in that humble manger to remind men that the greatest aspiration of the human soul is to seek the glory of God. Because it says in the word, but first seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things shall be added unto you. And he came to identify with mankind's problems. He knows about our struggles. Not one of them go unbeknownst to him. He knows about the trials we face. For he has identified himself with us. I am certain that the one, one of the reasons Jesus shone the palace in favor of the stable is so that he would be available to all those who desired to come to him. And we can thank God, whosoever will can come. Amen. Jesus is in need of them. From the lowest man to the most influential ruler, all men have a right to come to Jesus. That's what makes this season so special for us. And that's why he is God's final word. And he is the heir of all things. And he is the creator of the universe. Now from the future to the past and now to the present. Who is he right now? The author says he radiates. He radiates God's glory. That example can be found in Exodus 24, 15. When Moses went up to the mountaintop. And it says that he saw him as a consuming fire. And the Gospel of John illustrates this truth also. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is the meaning of the Colossians 2, 9, where we, where we are told, for in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in, the, in, in bodily form. His glory is manifested through his flesh. That's when we can capture the brightness of God's glory, when we read his word, when we read how he stilled an angry storm, when he was transfigured before the inner circle of disciples and his divine glory broke through his veil of flesh, when he taught truth and silenced hostile critics, when he healed the sick and cleansed the lepers and raised the dead. If you want to know what God is like, all we got to look, is, look at is Jesus. He is not some grimy, blurry image of the Almighty. This is the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. And the next statement in Hebrews 1, 3, it is, it is, it is kind of closely related to the first. And the author says he is the exact representation of his nature. Here we have a very clear statement concerning the deity of Christ. Anyone who doubts Jesus Christ is God need only to read this verse. Amen. First, we are told that Christ is the radiance of his glory. And now we see that he is the exact representation of the character of God. Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. The word used here for, for representation means an exact copy. The impression was left on a coin, uh, left on a stamp. When you stamp the coin, that impression was there. There is a Greek word for character, 
but I tried to practice it and it didn't come out right. So I thought I would leave it alone. But it's karatera. That's the word. And that's the word that the Greeks use for character. I got you, Pastor Day. So these two impressions uh, taken together are powerful statements of the son's deity. All that God is, his nature and being, is expressed and revealed perfectly in Christ. This is why Jesus is called Emmanuel. He's God with us. It's because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He has explained him and shown his glory. He has shown it to us. So we would be without excuse. If you want to know what God is like, take a, hard, take a long, hard look again at Jesus Christ. When you see Christ, you see the glory of God, the light of the world. And theologians refer to Jesus as the only begotten. The term means one and only. He can truly say not only is Jesus the son of God, he also God the son. When we see Jesus Christ, we have seen as much of God as it is possible for us to see. This is precisely what John 1.18 tells us. No one has ever seen God but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. He has made him known to us. That's why we can be thankful. We know the baby in Mary's arms is the image of God. He is the exact representation of him. Now, how does God uphold all things together? The author of Hebrews continues in verse 3 saying, Christ uphold all things together by the power of his word. Christ holds everything together by the powerful word. The word of God, this Bible that we bring to church, this Bible that we read at home. The emphasis is that Christ is, he, he's sustaining existence. Jesus Christ is the power behind the power. He holds the whole universe together. So note that this is a present tense. Even now, Jesus Christ is sustaining us. He's sustaining the whole universe. All things hold together for him and by him. If you think about it, were he to say a word, making Georgia would be no more. Just a word, and, he, and we would all perish. Do you realize that if Jesus stopped thinking about you, you would cease to exist? You owe your next breath to the fact that Christ is thinking about you right now. He sustains you so that you can breathe. Even without him, you wouldn't be listening to this word. You wouldn't be able to listen to this word nor read your Bible. What's stopping that from happening is the power of God's word. In Hebrews 3, 11.3 it says, The faith we understand, by faith we understand the worlds were formed by the word of God, so that things which were seen were not made of things which are visible. Obviously, obviously the, the author was thinking back to Genesis 1, when nine times it says, God said, and every time God spoke, it came to pass. Amen. That's the power of God's word. Because in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And lastly, the, the text says, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. Yeah. The majesty on, in heaven is a reference to God. This is a way of describing Christ's position of exaltation and supremacy. The right hand was a place of honor and authority. It's the same thing Paul indicated in Philippians when he wrote, God has highly exalted him. 
But don't miss the fact that Jesus sat down. That's not just incidental. It's extremely significant. The temple in Jerusalem was a magnificent structure that took 46 years to build. In today's economy, it would have cost hundreds of millions of dollars. But even in building that elaborate building, there were no chairs. The priests of Israel, they never sat down because their work was never done. The blood, the, blood, the blood of bulls and goats could not permanently put away our sins. It was just a stopgap measure. They had to keep offering day after day, year after year. But because Jesus Christ paid for our sins in full-on cavalry, he sat down. At the Father's right hand, the work of providing salvation for a sinful race was finished. It was complete. And it was perfect. And now he has the sa- now, and now he is the satis- satisfaction for our sins, and not only for ours, but for those that are in the world, yeah. those that are lost. That baby in that trough was heaven's glory, yeah. who came to pay for the sins of the world. And that's the good news of Christmas. God sent His Son to purge our sins. He has the power to put away our guilt, whether it's a nagging guilt from years ago. Or guilt from an angry exchange before you got here to this church. If we confess our sins, the word says he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's no way you have to go around with your head down because Christ has lifted it up by the power of his word. Jesus sits today at God's right hand because it is the highest honor God could give his son. If there were another crown, he would wear it. If there were another honor, he would have it. Even now, Jesus, he reigns from heaven. Even now, he reigns over the devil. He reigns over the elements of nature. He he reigns over the past, the present, and the future. He reigns over cancer. He he reigns over heart attacks. He he reigns over high blood pressure. He reigns over high diabetes. And he even reigns over death itself. God has given him a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Today we can openly declare that the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, this is a true identity of the baby born into Mary that night in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. So in just a few days, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Then all too soon... We will go to another busy year. But before you take down those ornaments and you stop playing that Christmas music, take time to discover who Jesus really is. Don't walk away from the manger this year without coming to grips of that tiny baby who sleeps there. Who is he? Where did he come from? Why was he born? And what difference does his coming make to me? Because the world needs to know what began in Bethlehem was finished at Calvary. The baby not only grew up, but he got up. He got up with all power in his hand. He alone is our Lord from heaven. He alone is our Savior. All that God wants to tell us is wrapped up in Jesus. There is no other name but the name of Jesus. So who is that baby? 
He's Jesus, the heir of all things. He's Jesus, the creator of the universe. He's Jesus, the radiance of God's glory. He's Jesus, the exact representation of God's nature. He's Jesus, the sustainer of all things, our Savior. He's Jesus, and he's seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, your name is above all names. But who is Jesus to you? Do you know him? Do you know who Jesus is? Is he your savior? Is he your redeemer? Can I make it personal for a minute? I know him as my healer. I know him as my deliverer. I know him as my peace. I know him as my keeper because I want to be kept. I'm thankful that he's the beginning and he is the end. He is the alpha and he is the omega. I thank God that he never leave me nor will he forsake me because God leads me on a path of righteousness because of his great name. And because of his great name, I cannot fail. Do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus for yourself? Do you know the one who died for the remission of your sins? Who got up on the third day with all power in his hand? From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, his name is worthy to be praised. He's worthy. He's worthy. I'm so glad I know him. I'm so glad I know him. I'm so glad I know him. I know him for myself. I'm so glad I know him. Hallelujah to the King of glory. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet if you will. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.